Oven Curry, thank you for uh, waking up the room yeah. with that uh, fine piece of music. Good morning, friends. Welcome to our uh, 11 o'clock service on this, the 22nd Sunday after Pentecost. Time's flying. Advent will be here in no time. Uh, welcome to those of you in the room, and uh, as we know, always many more who are joining us online in other states, other countries. It's wonderful to worship God together uh, in this way. As I look around, some of you are visiting with us. We are so honored that you have come, uh, really. And we hope you'll come back. We hope you leave some contact information so we can reach out and begin the process, hopefully, of befriending one another. Uh, that would be lovely. Let me add uh, on a personal note. Uh, so many of you, uh, my wife's dad, my father-in-law, Tom Stockton, who was our senior pastor here back in the 70s and 80s, uh, died recently. We had his service yesterday. And Lisa and I have been so moved by so many expressions of love uh, from so many of you. Uh, some came to the service. Some have sent us cards and notes. It just means so much. Thank you so much uh, for that. I meant to say my name is James Howell. And I'm up front today with my friend and colleague, Dr. Uyan Kim. Grateful to be together. As Dr. Howe already mentioned, we want to get to know you, hear your stories, and let you know the ministries of our church. There's several ways to do that, especially for those of us who may be first-time visitors or relatively new into our faith community. There's the physical hospitality pads at the end of your pews. You can fill that out and, and share it with your neighbors. There's also a QR code at the back of your bulletin that you can use your smartphones with. And for those of us online, wherever you may be, there's a link that you can click on to let us know of who you are, how we can be in touch with you, to pray for you and with you and share the ministries of our church. A couple of things we wanted to highlight for you, all the information is in your bulletin, of course. Tomorrow there is a border conversation in an effort for us to get to know of our immigrant neighbors better. It's at 6 o'clock in Francis Chapel tomorrow. Hope to see many of you there. And also another ministry that we partake in as a church is a blood drive. Blood is something that simply cannot be made, right? It can only be given to those who are in need. It is gift of ourselves to our neighbors who are in need. So we hope that many of you will make appointments and participate in our annual blood drive. And as always, it is a wonderful thing, a good thing that we are gathered in this space. Let us continue to prepare our hearts for worship.
let's continue to join our voices together as we affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed, which is found in your hymnal on page 881. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In the safety of our church family, let us join our voices together as we confess our sins together. Gracious God, we carry anger in our hearts we cannot release. Our past regrets continue to shame us with pain. Scarcity binds our hearts from generosity and growth. Give us courage to choose you in the face of temptations. Set us free for joyful obedience and faithful witness. Open us to a future of peace, hope, and love with you. Amen. God's love for us is, is greater than our greatest sins. In a short while, we will join at the table and we will experience the fullness of God's grace. So hear the good news. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Old Testament reading is Deuteronomy, chapter 34, beginning with the first verse. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over to there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley 
in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no man knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a, pro arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, for all the mighty power and all the great and terrible deeds which Moses wrought in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Mark, thank you uh, for this reading, such a poignant uh, moment. Moses, uh, the great Moses, uh, he climbs to the top of Mount Nebo on the range of Pisgah. When I take uh, pilgrim groups to Israel, often we um, go there. It's, it's in the land of Jordan. You look across the Jordan Valley and you see the huge expanse of God's promised land to his people. And Moses, uh, what did he think? His eyes dart all over. He, he starts in the south at Zor, and then he zigzags up to the north to Dan and over to Gilead and down the Jordan Valley. He's soaking in all this land, and his joy must have been just startling, right? I mean, on the one hand, Moses, he's got to be tired. He's 120 years old. He has been leading an obstinate, difficult people through the wilderness for 40 years. Yet he has arrived at such a place, and he's seeing the culmination of his life's work, which is to bring these people to this place. His heart had to be full of joy, and yet then the sorrow comes, because God says, Moses, you will not enter the land unspeakably painful. And the question is, uh, why, why did Moses not enter the land? When I was young, I would read theologians who would argue about this. Well, it was because Moses struck the rock wrong or because he lost temper with the people of Israel. Uh, the true answer to why Moses died actually was uh, realized by, of all people, Franz Kafka. Franz Kafka does not count among our great Christian theologians. He was this existentialist uh, novelist, he wrote really depressing things. He said uh, Moses died because he was human. Moses died because he was human. That's actually why all of us die. We want to attach God to it somehow. Why did God take my loved one? Why did God cause the death of this one that I love so much? But we die, all of us, because we are human. And how shall I say it? God does not ask us to be any more than that. God asks us to be human. Although we're confused about what that means, sometimes people, I'm talking to someone, they've done something, just numbskull stuff. And they'll say to me, oh, I'm only human. And I always want to respond by saying, no, actually, you were doing something that is subhuman. 
anti-human. I don't know what to call it. When you're human, it doesn't mean you do dumb stuff. When you're human, it means, this is part of my How to Be Spiritual series, right? It's really about how to be human, how to be the person that God made you to be, how to be your truest self. God made you in God's image. God made you so that you might be noble, so that you would have great dreams, so that you could be part being human. Such a beautiful thing. God asks us to be human, and then God also asks us to have some courage. This gets understated in church life. We don't talk about courage enough. There's a big faith element that is courage. God wants us to have courage. I love uh, the novelist Marilyn Robinson uh, in her book, Gilead. She writes these words that I really admire. Theologians talk about a provenient grace that precedes grace itself and allows us to accept it. I think there must also be a kind of provenient courage that allows us to be brave. That is to acknowledge that there is more beauty than our eyes can bear, that precious things have been put into our hands, and to do nothing to, do nothing to honor them is to do great harm. I love that, kind of a provenient courage that God has given us. And it's why we need to call to mind moments of great courage to inspire us to be the courageous people that God asks us to be and that we need to be, to be fully human. This is Reformation Sunday, and we mark the date because uh, on the, at the end of October in 1517, Martin Luther stood up and nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg church door. Oh, goodness grace, a firestorm broke loose among political and religious leaders, and four years later, Luther got called on the carpet at the Diet of Orms. The political religious leaders said, said to him, you must recant. And Luther famously did not recant. Instead, he said, here I stand. And I love that he added, God help me. <laughs> here I stand. God help me. On December 1st of 1955 in Montgomery, Alabama, there was a young seamstress. I would add she was a Methodist seamstress. Her name was Rosa Parks, and she was riding a bus in Montgomery, and when a white person got on, she did not follow a custom, which is you give up your seat because white people get the seats. And when the driver, J.P. Blake, came back and barked at her, she still did not give up her seat. I love it. She wasn't saying, here I stand. She was saying, here I sit. We say, here I stand. We say, here I sit. Sometimes it's, here we walk. Uh, we did our civil rights tour right before the pandemic set in. My favorite moment, I'm pretty sure, was when we were in Selma, Alabama, and we walked across that Edmund Pettus Bridge, as so many did in 1965, and were beaten within an inch of their lives. I got to walk across that bridge with my great longtime friend, Richard Harrison. Richard was one of few, but some African-American members of our church. Richard was always great. When he would hear that it was Black History Month, Richard would say, every month is Black History Month. <laughs> he was great. We got to walk across that bridge. Richard sobbed. Here we walk. I've been thinking a lot lately about what asks us to be courageous and what maybe insulates us from being courageous. This past summer, uh, I was in Israel one day. Lisa was participating in an archaeological dig, and I just had a free afternoon. I'm, I'm walking around, and I decided to go visit Oscar Schindler's grave. You know Oscar Schindler, this businessman? He harbored a lot of Jews, saved their lives during World War II. 
I was crossing the street there uh, at Mount Zion to enter the cemetery, and my phone binged at about this moment. So I opened my phone, and a friend has sent me a photo. My friend is at Kiowa Island. Have you ever been to Kiowa Island? Oh, my goodness. What a fine place this is. It's just beautiful. I've been to Kiowa. It's splendid. And so he's at Kiowa, and he has sent me a photo of the sunrise, right, with the time change. He sent me a photo of the sunrise, and it has a caption, God's beautiful artistry. And I love that photo, but I was about to walk in to visit Oscar Schindler's grave. And I stood, as I stood over Schindler's grave, I thought to myself that Kiowa, where I've been, it's a lovely place. Kiowa makes no moral demand of me. Kiowa asks no questions of me. But when I'm standing at Oscar Schindler's grave, there's a moral imperative there. When I'm standing at Oscar Schindler's grave, there are questions that are asked of me, and there are questions like, what would you do? What are you doing? Moses dies too soon. We always die too soon, right? There's always one more thing, one more birthday, one more graduation, one more something. A terrible loss to the world recently, I think, is Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Uh, Sachs, a prolific writer, great thinker, peacemaker, wonderful man, uh, died not long ago. And it's so interesting, when he died, he was writing a book that he didn't quite finish. And the book that he was writing when he was dead, he'd gotten to the passage where Moses dies on Mount Nebo. And he's reflecting on why Moses' prayer wasn't answered. Moses' prayer to God throughout Deuteronomy is, Lord, let me enter the promised land. Lord, let me enter the promised land. And Sachs, as he is dying, writes on why Moses' prayer was unanswered. Here's what Sachs wrote. For each of us, there is a Jordan we will not cross, a journey we will not finish, a paradise we will not reach this side of the grave. I love that. And his last words that he wrote before he died were about, uh, I don't know if you heard it when Mark read it, Moses is 120, but it says that his eyes were undimmed and his energy was unabated, right? His eyes were undimmed, and his energy was unabated. And Sachs links those two. And what Sachs says is that maybe his energy was unabated because his eyes were undimmed. And what he's doing with that is this. He says, Moses never lost the vision and high ideals of his youth. His vision was undimmed, and that's why his energy was unabated. So Sachs says, if you want to stay young, never compromise your ideals. He says, don't become a cynic. And he defines a cynic as a lapsed idealist. I used to call them ex-liberals, but this always got on conservatives' nerves. But you've all known people, and maybe you have been one of them, that when you were young, you were an idealist. Like, oh, we're going to, we're going to dream great dreams, or we're going to solve the world's problems. But then you become, you know what you become. You become this crusty realist, and you just go, oh, well, I, yeah, that doesn't bother me. Uh, yeah, uh, God just laughs. 
or God's heart breaks when we give up the vision of our youth. The other day, I was walking in the building, and one of my church members came there at about the same time because of the construction that we have. Uh, children, there's a little bit of a playground out there by the street, so you can't come in the building without hearing their joyful voices, and they're just laughing. It's just great fun to see them. And my friend said, when you open the new building, whatever you do, keep the children out here. They just bring so much joy. I love that remark, but what I want to say is that children bring so much joy, but they also bring that kind of idealism. Children think there could be peace in the world. Children think we could actually feed and feed the hungry people. Children think we could house the homeless people. Children even think somebody's homeless, can't they live at our house? And parents say, bruh, 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 uh. they've become ex-idealists. God calls us to retain the vision of our youth, and so that's why we have to think a lot about heroic moments and where do you go when you go? If you visit Memphis, here's a good example. Uh, I've been to Memphis a number of times. You go to Memphis, you can visit Graceland. I've been to Graceland. Graceland's cool. If you go to Graceland, you know what you get? You get, I ain't nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> and you get, I did it my way. That's what you get at Graceland. But in Memphis, you can also go to the Lorraine Motel where Martin Luther King was shot by somebody who couldn't bear what he had to say. And you can also visit, as I did the last time I was there, the Mason Temple. This is where Martin Luther King preached the last night of his life, and I can't think of the Deuteronomy passage without thinking of this moment. He, there was a garbage worker strike uh, there in 68. He was sick that night. He was running a fever. He said, I just can't go and preach, but they pressed him. They said, the people, they just want to hear some word from you, even if it's brief. He went and preached one of the great sermons in the entire history of this planet. Let me just read some of it to you. King said, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't really matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. Now, I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Friends, you are here because you are part of something bigger than you. You are here because you're part of something bigger than now. The world will only tell you you are here for you. You are only here for now or maybe this afternoon, I don't know. But here we say you're not here for you. You're not here for now. You're part of something larger than yourself. I love Reinhold Niebuhr said, said, you know, nothing can be accomplished and nothing worth doing can be accomplished in a single lifetime. Therefore, we're saved by hope. I mean, I, the, the people who built this building, I don't, I don't know, what were they, were they thinking of us? I don't know, but they built a building and here we are years later, the great beneficiaries of it. We said when we were raising money for our building, we are not building a building for you and me to walk into and enjoy for a few days. We are building a building for future generations that will come and be blessed by it. 
for a city that for years will see that there's a building, there must be a God, because look at what the Methodists did in this place. We call that hope. And hope is the same thing as courage, which is the same thing as hope. <laughs> Part of what I love about being a United Methodist is that we always consciously know that we are part of something much, much, much bigger. We're not just this church. We're part of the other Methodist churches around the city, around the state, around our country, and around the world. We have a special guest today. I asked him to come and say a few words to you. Bishop Patrick Stry. Patrick's been a long-time friend, and our friendship came most beautifully into play uh, when Russia invaded Ukraine. Most people wringing their hands, didn't know what to do. I knew what to do. I called Bishop Stry, who was the bishop over all those countries that border Ukraine. I said, what do we do? Can you connect us with somebody? He said, yeah, here's some people, here's some Methodists on the border of Ukraine in Poland. They could use your help. We began to help them. We went there to visit, started a significant friendship. It's so beautiful to be part of something larger than just yourself. Bishop, if you would come and uh, speak to us, be so grateful. Thank you, Pastor Harold, for these very kind words. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ may be with all of you. And it's wonderful to be again here. A few years ago, I have been already here in your church. And as Pastor Howell said, vision is something important and that we keep it because we are together, because we can really build something bigger. I have been for 18 years a bishop for, uh, in Central and Southern Europe, and uh, all these countries are neighboring countries to the Ukraine. And when the war broke out, uh, I have to say I was on holidays. Um, wonderful. In, uh, doing cross-country skiing. But the same morning, at 9 o'clock, my phone called, and it was the superintendent from Poland who told me, Bishop, what can we do? There are thousands of refugees coming into Poland, and we need to do something. <laughs> Together, Together, we can build something. And it was so wonderful how our churches in Poland, in Hungary, in Romania, in Slovakia, they, they worked together to host refugees and to do also some long-term support. Together, we can do a lot of things. This summer, I have taken retirement and one of the big visions which I have for a long time in my heart is to strengthen theological education. Because particularly outside of the United States, our churches often lack the possibilities and means 
for good theological education and theological education in a Wesleyan spirit. And therefore, uh, we started to build up uh, some um, new forms of doing theological education. And Minis Reidenour, who is with me today, he helped us a lot in that in Europe. And that was like a beginning, but not the end of the vision. Uh, so the vision continues, and we would like to build up an endowment fund for theological institutions in other parts of the world, outside the U United States. And you can be part of that. Together, we can do such things. Together, we are church, and together we are called by God to do much more than anyone on us alone could do. Let us pray. Holy and merciful God, creator of heaven and earth and all living beings, you have set us humans to care and pre preserve your creation. We confess that we do not live up to your mandate and much too often, willfully or by neglect, damage or even destroy our environment as well as relationships among us humans. Jesus, Son of God and Head of the Church, you have called us to be salt of the earth and light of the world. We confess that we do not live up to your mandate. And we pray for all your followers around the world, in all our diversity, that we may build up communities in which persons find healing, salvation, and transformation into your Holy Spirit, who sheds the love of God in our hearts, mightily strengthen our faith in God, our hope in your presence among us, and our love towards you and our neighbors near and far, so that we truly become witnesses for the transformation of the world. Lord of peace, Strengthen every person of goodwill, whether Christians or not, every person of goodwill in their contribution to the common good in this world, groaning under egoism, hatred, and war. Lord of reconciliation, call everywhere in your worldwide church persons to become ambassadors of your reconciliation and shepherds of your flock. Lord and Head of the Church Universal and of our United Methodist Church, build us up into a community of faith, of hope, of love, as a shining light in the world. To the glory of God the Father of all. Amen.
friends, as the ushers prepare for our morning tithes and offering, we are reminded that it is through our collective generosity and God's eternal goodness that God sends us to do good works, not only within the walls of our church, but far beyond the walls of our community. So one of the ministries that we support is the Grief Support Workshop, which will happen throughout the month of November. Avon will be here before you know it, and it is a special joyful season for many of us, but for others, it is especially a difficult time, whether it be due to being displaced, experiencing loss, so many different things that might bring about difficulty. So we support one another, God's people, as we journey as a people of God. I invite the ushers to come forward as we receive our morning tithes and offering with thanksgiving.
Loving and gracious God, you are the giver of all good things you give us abundantly. We offer a portion of that which you first given to us. Bless our gifts so they touch lives in need and become roots of justice in the world for the sake of Jesus Christ who sends us out in love and in whose name we pray. Amen. So we come now to our Lord's table. All are welcome. We're United Methodist Church. All are welcome at our Lord's table. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you've been to church 3,000 times or this is your first time. It doesn't matter if you're a person of great courage or you're basically a chicken. All are welcome at our Lord's table. This meal will sustain us. This meal will energize us. This meal will enable us to keep our ideals alive and be people of courage and hope. We'll begin with the prayers of consecration. The choir will lead us in our sung responses. You can find those uh, beginning on page 17 at the front of your hymnal if you're not familiar with them. And after the leaders receive, the ushers will guide you in coming forward. Uh, there'll be two lines. Uh, somebody will hand you a piece of bread, dip it gently into the cup, return to your seat by way of the outside aisle. You can receive kneeling if you so choose. Uh, we also have these uh, little packets that are uh, COVID-friendly and gluten-free if that's something that you need as well, because again, all are welcome. So friends, let us join together in the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn.
holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after giving you thanks, he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. For this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. confidence of the children of God, let us boldly pray together as our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come.
Friends, would you join with me now as we pray together our prayer after communion, which you will find printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
grace of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us, both now and forevermore. Mm -hmm.